0: Will the congregation please turn with me and their Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. We'll be picking back up in verse 7. We'll be expositing verses 7 through 13 of Mark, chapter 6. Mark, chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. Please join with me in prayer. Lord God, we thank Thee for Thy grace, for Thy mercy. We thank Thee for the opportunity to come here before Thee, to hear Thy Word preached. Yes. Lord, please help us to hear. Open minds, open hearts, open ears. Lord, we ask for Thy help. Holy Spirit, Please apply thy word to us, thy people. Help us not to only learn information for our heads, but rather apply them to our hearts, to walk them out, to live them before thee. Lord, that a greater love for thy Son Jesus Christ would be wrought within us. Lord, that we might be faithful. Lord, we come to thee in faith, even though Our faith is weak, asking and trusting that thy word shall go forth and accomplish its purposes. We place all of our faith and trust in that, that thou art working through thy word. Help this this man, this stumbling preacher, an imperfect man, to preach thy perfect word. Lord, that the Holy Spirit would apply it. That would help us to preach and to hear. And ultimately, Lord, we become more dutiful, more grateful, more thankful children. Or that we might see Thee even just a little more clearly in Thy greatness and Thy glory and thy goodness, and thy mercy. Mm. We would see the the futility of sin. It would taste bitter to us. Not because of the rod of the law, but because of the kindness and gladness, the oil of the gospel. Mm. We would drink deeply of this well of eternal life. Help us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Dear congregation, the title of our sermon this Lord's Day is Gospel Commissioners Sent Forth. Gospel Commissioners Sent Forth. Taken from Mark chapter 6, verses 7 to 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. And he called unto him the twelve, and began to send them forth by two and two. And gave them power over unclean spirits, and commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no scrip, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals, and not put on two coats. And he said unto them, In what place soever ye enter into an house, there abide till ye depart from that place. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear you, when ye depart thence, Shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And they went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it. Amen. Dear congregation. All Christians, all Christians, not just ministers, pastors, not just evangelists, not just church planners and missionaries, all Christians are ambassadors for Jesus Christ and his gospel. All Christians. Christians are commissioners, the word I chose, which means a delegate, a witness to the grace, goodness, truth, and judgment of God. Christ told his disciples in Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, "Ye shall be my witnesses unto me, unto the uttermost part of the earth. Witness in Greek is martyr. Martyr. The original word martyr has come to be associated with, simply with those who are killed for bearing witness to Jesus Christ. Those who are killed for their faith in Christ. But the word is more than that. It shouldn't be limited to that. It means a witness. Someone who bears testimony to jesus christ what he has done for them and what he has done for the world they are put to death martyrs as we've come to use the word those martyrs are put to death not simply for their faith in christ but for bearing witness to the work of christ in their life in this sense we are all martyrs for christ we are all witnesses for christ in our text this lord's day we see christ sending out his disciples to preach the gospel They have now been with him for some time. They've seen him do miracles. They've heard his sermons. They've seen him raise the dead. They've seen him cast out legions of devils. They've seen him calm and still a storm and say, peace, be still. They've seen and they've heard who Jesus is, what his message is, that he is the divine, eternal son of God. Now they're to go forth, they're to do likewise. Jesus is sending them out empowered by him and for him to go out as ambassadors as commissioners they had long been in the school of christ they had long been in the school of christ studying under him but they should not always stay there they should not always stay there they must themselves become teachers they must themselves become teachers and this is part of their training to go out and teach now we too must not always be studying must not always be studying but applying our study that is the key that is the key we must be applying our studying doing the work not just studying about what the work is not just studying about what the work is paul reminds us that we are ambassadors for christ in second corinthians 5 20 we sinners against god how could we but indeed we are we must plead with souls that they be reconciled to Christ. Plead with souls, they be reconciled to Christ. We are gospel ambassadors, gospel witnesses, gospel commissioners. All of us. All of us. Not just a pastor, not just an evangelist, but all of us are to go out and plead that men would be reconciled with the Savior, Jesus Christ. We take note of three characteristics of gospel commissioners in our text. First, who they are. Who they are. Number two, how they go. How they go out. What manner. Who they are. How they go. And thirdly, what they do. What do gospel ambassadors do? First, who gospel commissioners are. First aspect of who they are is... Disciples of Christ. Gospel commissioners are disciples of Christ. Verse 7, we see that he called unto him the twelve. Who are the twelve? The twelve are called. These are the disciples that have been with him. These are the ones that are set apart. These are the ones that are sent out. And these twelve were the closest, the most well-studied of the disciples of Jesus Christ. Now they shall go forth in the ministry. Only here are we seeing twelve sent out. Twelve are sent out, but more shall soon be sent out if you read the Gospels. And after his resurrection, after his ascension, all Christians Christians shall be sent out. We are all sent out to go into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature, Mark sixteen fifteen. Now, this shows us that the best witnesses for Christ are disciples of Christ. These are the proper ambassadors for Christ, namely Christians, disciples. Though there have been many unconverted men that have preached the gospel out of envy and strife, like we see in the book of Philippians, and as here we have Judas, Judas is sent out, he's among the twelve, and even though such false ambassadors for Christ have even won many true converts to Christ, yet it remains true that the best ambassadors the true ambassadors for christ are those who are converted by christ those who are disciples how great a judgment how sad a state for the judases among christ's ambassadors judas is here sent out to proclaim the gospel to work miracles And though he shall cry out on judgment day with all other false witnesses, then living and now living, and who shall live, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in in thy name, that means preached in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works, yet Christ will still say to them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Matthew 7, verses 22 and 23. So a true gospel ambassador, a true witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ is one who knows Christ savingly, savingly. This is a true disciple. This is a true witness. Now, I trust and hope that that is not the case with any of us here, that we do not have false witnesses among us here in this room, but that we are all children of God. We are all reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. But we must know that a true ambassador, a true Christian, someone who can actually bear witness to the gospel, is one that knows Christ. One who has tasted and seen the grace of God. A true disciple of Christ makes for a true witness of Christ. Notice that Paul tells us, the Apostle Paul, that what made he and Timothy true and effective ambassadors for Christ was that the love of God constrained them. We see that in 2 Corinthians 5, 14. What made them effective and true ambassadors for Christ was that the love of Christ constrained them. They were bound to preach the gospel because they had felt its power. They had seen their guilt. They had received God's grace in Christ. And out of gratitude for Him, they felt constrained to be His Constant witnesses unto the ends of the earth. That's what made them effective. That's what made them true ambassadors. In another place, the Apostle Paul writes, Necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me, if I preach not the gospel. A true Christian bears witness for Christ out of love's necessity. A true Christian bears witness to Christ out of love's Necessity. A false ambassador bears witness to Christ out of obligation and or strife and envy like in the book of Philippians. So dear congregation, let us ensure that our motivation to bear witness to Jesus Christ, to the gospel, comes from love to Jesus Christ, not out of envy, not out of obligation. The best gospel preaching is the kind of preaching that comes from the heart of out of love to God and to men. Another aspect of who they are, who these gospel ambassadors are, is that they are those who know what they believe. Those who know what they believe. Gospel commissioners are those who know what they believe. They have a message, and they know its content. The message is given to them from the one who sends them, namely God. It is not their own message. But even though it's not their own message, they're still familiar with its contents. Imagine, an ambassador is sent from one king to another. He arrives in front of that king, and he doesn't know what to say, so he starts making things up or guessing at what it was his lord wanted him to say. Would he do such a thing? Can we even imagine it? No. He is sent with a specific message. So too are we, as Christians, or I should say as ambassadors for Christ, we too are sent forth with a message, and we know that message. And we know that message. It's not our message, but it is one that we still know. A true gospel commissioner, a true gospel witness, does not have to know much. He doesn't. But he must know something. He doesn't have to know much, but he must know something. Think of the zeal of a new convert or when we were young Christians, when you were first brought to Christ. Though that new convert cannot unfold the deep things of theology, though he cannot wax eloquently on some doctrinal topic, yet he can still say something for Jesus, can't he? Many Christians refrain from bearing witness to the gospel because they do not think they know enough. I don't know enough to go out and and tell people about Jesus. They do not feel that they could answer every cavil, every objection to the gospel, every interpretive issue which may be placed before them, so they say nothing. I don't know enough about every theological topic, so I can't say anything, because what if they bring it up? I won't have an answer. Indeed, they should seek to remedy this the best they can. They they should labor to increase their knowledge, but their current lack of, of expertise in every theological cluster does not make void their ability nor excuse their duty to bear witness to the gospel. If you have driven across any stretch of this country, you have likely seen many signs and billboards along the freeway out in the middle of nowhere. Sometimes you see large billboards or church signs on the side of the road that will have giant bold letters that say, Jesus saves! Jesus saves. Well, we would do well to do a better job of being ambassadors for Christ's gospel than inanimate objects planted in the dirt by men. We may not know much, but we certainly as Christians know enough as that pole. The same amount as that pole does, at least. If we cannot explain the intricacies of justification by faith, yet we can still preach with the Apostle Paul, Jesus Christ and him crucified. We can still at least preach that. Amen. True gospel ambassadors know what they believe if it's only the basics. If it's only the basics. Your average Christian doesn't have to get saved. When somebody gets saved, you send them to a re-education program, you send them to seminary, and after 12 years they can come out and then maybe start a conversation with somebody about Jesus Christ. That's not the case. But immediately, immediately upon regeneration, they are made a gospel witness. Mm. Disciples of Christ preach what they believe, even if if it's only the basics. Another aspect of true gospel ambassadors is that they are those who come in another's name. They come in another's name. Gospel commissioners are gospel ambassadors. Like the twelve here, they are sent forth. To preach and are given power to do so from without themselves from without themselves they do not come in their own name or by their own power for their message is not their own but Christ's this greatly aids us does it not as ambassadors for Jesus Christ and it also comforts us in our rejection when we are rejected by people when we preach the gospel to them in this In the verse from Acts, which we quoted earlier, right at the beginning of the sermon, the Christians are sent out to preach after they had received the power of the Holy Spirit. Christians are sent out as witnesses in God's name, by God's authority, with his message upon their lips. That's why even if you know the very basics of that message, you can preach it. Throughout Paul's letters, he points his authority to where? The fact that he, has, he is an apostle and has authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ, well, he points it back to God who called him. In Galatians 1.1, 1, 1, just one example, he writes, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now, this is what made Paul bold. And it makes all disciples of Christ bold. We come by the appointment of God with the gospel of Jesus Christ not some message of our own and not in our own name. We do not grow weary because we don't do it by our power. We do not take rejection personally. For as God said to Samuel when he was rejected as God's prophet in 1 Samuel 8, 7, they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. Christians come in God's name. They preach by his authority. They proclaim his message. When they are rejected, it is actually their God who is rejected, the one in whose name they come. Notice also the God who calls gospel ambassadors, the God who gives them their message to preach, the God in whose name they come forth, also provides them with power to accomplish the ministry. He has sent them on. The 12 were given power over unclean spirits, we read. Mark loves to always point out the power of the gospel, the power of Jesus and the disciples and the apostles over Satan. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the gospel. Why? Because it is the very power of God, and it is effectually working in and through it. That's where the power comes from. As Christians, our sending out is from God. As Christians, we are sent out from God. Our message is from God. Our authority is from God. And our power is also from God. This is what gives us boldness. This is what gives us confidence in our Christian witness. Have you ever wondered how Martin Luther could stand against the Pope boldly? Have you ever wondered how Calvin, when the Libertines came in to take the Lord's Supper, even though they were trading wives with one another, he was able to stand in front of the Supper and say, You can cut off my arms, but you shall not partake of this meal. How was he able to do that? Have you ever wondered how John Knox could preach against the papist queen who wanted his head? How Whitfield could preach before thousands, that his voice could then be heard for 30 miles, and all the people could hear him. How great missionaries could boldly go into distant nations, and how they could do this, all these people could do this with great boldness. Ever wondered? Well, it was because these all realized that they had nothing to say. They had nothing to say. They had no power. They had no authority. They truly believed the words of Christ to Christians when He said, Without me ye can do nothing. Without me ye can do nothing. They realized that their power came from without. They knew that they could proclaim the gospel because it was not their gospel. And that in the, that very hour, when they went out to preach, words would be given to them to speak by the Holy Spirit, namely the Scriptures. Dear congregation, as gospel commissioners, as gospel ambassadors, in other words, as Christians, we can be bold to speak the gospel. For we have something to say. And we can do it confidently, since it is not by our own power but God's that we labor. We come in Christ's name. We preach his word, his gospel, and he shall surely honor it. His word never goes forth in vain, does it? No, he makes it to accomplish whatsoever he pleaseth, doesn't he? We must only speak it. We must only speak it. Power over unclean spirits was given to the disciples to demonstrate the truth of, Of their message, to confirm its veracity. Though no such miraculous gifting is given us now, yet our witness will be more powerfully and more miraculously vindicated by what? The conversion of lost sinners unto Jesus Christ. I've often thought that myself and had conversations with my Pentecostal brethren, my charismatic brethren. You want to see a miracle. They want to see a miracle. They want to see a sign. They want to see God do something and be part of that. And then their faith would be confirmed. Not so. You've already seen the greatest miracle, even if it's only in your own life. If you are a Christian, that is impossible. God did that. There's your miracle. If you've seen someone else saved, that was the working of God. A miracle far, far greater than when God created the world ex nihilo, out of nothing. For in the creation of the world, God uses no matter. But in the recreation of a sinful rebel, he takes a dead man and turns him into a living man. Mm. Have great excitement, dear Christian. Have great excitement. Rise every morning thrilled to see what God will do through you and in you as you preach the gospel, as you present it to people. Anticipate conversion. I get sick of Calvinists not anticipating conversion. Anticipate conversion when you bear witness to the gospel. Anticipate it. Why? Because faith cometh by hearing, we read in Romans ten seventeen, and hearing by the word of God. And his word goes forth, and it does not return unto him void. Speak the word of God, and you shall see salvation. That's the biblical message. Second, How gospel commissioners go forth, in what manner, what do they look like? Well, they go forth in community, in community. Only the gospel of Mark tells us that they were sent forth two by two, two and two. The gospel commissioners were sent out, two and two, the disciples. So too now, Christians are not called to do the work of ministry alone. We're not called to do the work of ministry alone. Christianity is not an individualistic religion where each man does what is right in his own eyes and tries to figure out who God is for him or her. No. Christ has called his church to live together and to work together. The body of Christ has many members. And each member is essential to the health and strength of the whole. To the health and strength of the whole. It is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for Christians to live for Christ in isolation. Even the light of nature, common sense, shows us that a man is deficient on his own outside of community and fellowship. And the preacher in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10 tells us, two are better than one, for if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow." But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Now notice the sweet and tender care of Christ for his disciples, his people, here in our passage. He does not send them out alone, but in twos. That they might have mutual encouragement, mutual support to strengthen one another's hearts, to share the burden of the work. They're also sent in twos so that their doctrine would be testified to, would be established, coming from the mouth of two witnesses, as the Old Testament says. This rule was the pattern all throughout the New Testament, that they would not go alone. Paul was never alone on his missionary journeys. The sending out of men for gospel ministry by themselves is a modern intervention, mm. a modern Innovation, and one that has tragic consequences? How many missionaries have suffered greatly in some distant foreign land by themselves, working in isolation all alone? How much more effective might the great missionary to the Native Americans, a friend of Jonathan Edwards, the great Puritan, whose name was David Brainerd, How much more effective would that missionary, David Brainerd, have been to the Native Americans if he had had some bosom brother to lift him up? Some bosom brother to comfort his despondent soul. He suffered with excruciating depression to share the burden of the work and to urge him to get medical care for his tuberculosis before he was consumed. Died when he was 29. Well, we can only surmise what may have happened had he had the help he needed. But we can authoritatively say that this is not the pattern of Christ and the apostles. It is not the pattern of Christ and the apostles to send men out by themselves. The word of God binds us in Galatians 6 2. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let us make sure, then, dear congregation, That we are not isolating ourselves from the body of Christ. That we are not allowing or permitting our brethren to dwell in isolation either. We were created and redeemed for community. Created and redeemed for community. And as iron sharpeneth iron, so too we are to exhort, to encourage, to admonish, teach, and aid each other as Christians. How else did they go out? They went out dependent. Verses eight and nine we read this and he commanded them they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no scrip, no bread, no money in their purse, would be shod with sandals, and not put on two coats. Gospel commissioners, gospel ambassadors are to go upon their work dependent upon God. Dependent upon God, because their power is from without. So they then realize that they are dependent upon God, who gives both the strength and the increase. Both the strength and the increase. We are not to hoard up for tomorrow's need of strength. Indeed, we cannot. You can't get the strength you need for tomorrow to live as a Christian today. We cannot eat what our body needs for June, now in February, can we? Nor can we obtain God's aid For tomorrow, today. Mm. We are taught by Jesus to pray, Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. And this surely extends to our spiritual bread as well. In each moment, dear congregation, in each moment, at each occasion, when we bear witness to Jesus Christ's gospel, we must ask for aid from God then. Then, at that moment, we must depend afresh And constant upon God for strength, for wisdom, for words, for heart, for aid. I notice times that I've been able to share the gospel with somebody out on the street or a relative. When I've been asked to preach and I didn't know I was going to be preaching that day. When I've met with somebody to minister to them when they're in distress. And I haven't asked the Lord for help right then. Trusting that I'd done my prayers earlier that day. I felt it. I knew I'd hung myself out to dry, as it were. And God was so gracious in those times, but in spite of me. Mm. We need to ask right then in that moment for grace, for help, for strength, for aid. Our daily bread. Our moment-by-moment bread. Jesus Christ loves to supply a needy and humble soul with strength. He loves to teach a man to say with the Apostle Paul, I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. Then here's that famous verse everyone takes out of context. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. What's that in the context of? Knowing how to have nothing and be shipwrecked and dying and starving to death, and how to have abundance that you can give to others even. I can do all of those things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Dependence upon Christ strengthened Paul. So too, dependence upon Christ strengthens us. How else did they go? As messengers, not as visitors. Messengers, not as visitors. Gospel commissioners go forth as messengers. Christians go forth as messengers. This is another reason why they were instructed by Christ to take nothing for their journey. They were sent to deliver a message. They were permitted to bring a staff only. A staff which was used for walking. It was a common instrument that travelers used in that time and still do today. One staff would serve as an aid for the journey, for their work in the ministry. But a whole bundle of staves would only hamper them And be a hindrance unto them. And Christ in his wisdom knew that. They were not sent out burdened down with supplies for themselves. Nor with supplies to burden their hosts that they were to be going into their homes. God commanded them, And what place soever ye enter into an house, there abide till ye depart from that place. In verse 10. Had the disciples come to these people's houses who were willing to receive them with Carts full of suitcases and bags and supplies, they would have been a great burden, would they have not, to their hosts who brought them in and cared for them. They were to be pilgrims when they were sent out, not residents. Men who were just passing through, stopping by to deliver the everlasting gospel, the message of the gospel of peace, and then depart again to go deliver it elsewhere. They had a goal. They had an intention, a duty to fulfill. Did they not? They were not there to linger about and set up residence. So too we as Christians may rightly view ourselves as pilgrims here in this world. Now, I want to be careful here because this has been used very inappropriately. This does not mean that then we are just to not really care what goes on here. Separate from the world and it's just going to be what it is and it doesn't really matter. We can get away from society and culture and everything else. No. We're not to be uninvolved in the world or not care about what happens here. Rather, understand that we are pilgrims here, we are visitors, we are messengers, rather, helps us to see that we are not residents of this evil age. Of this evil age. We do not think like it. We do not live like it. We do not delight in what it delights in. We are ambassadors for Christ in this world, not its residents. In every place God puts us in this world, we must then therefore ask ourselves and ask the Lord what we can be doing for Christ. How we might bear witness to the gospel, not make it our home. Mm. That's the proper way of viewing it. Not just leave it and abandon it, but also not be so invested in it. Realize that we are here as messengers with the life-giving message everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ, the only thing that can really help the world. Another aspect of gospel commissioners, Christians, is that they have a balanced witness. What do I mean by that? They have a balanced witness. Well, Christ tells the disciples to go out and enter into a house. Matthew gives us further instructions in the parallel passage that Jesus gave. He said, when you come into a house, salute it. It means greet it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. Our Lord continues, saying, here in verse 11, Whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear you, when ye depart thence, when you leave it, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. A testimony against them. The disciples were to stay with those who received the gospel message which they preached. When they left the town... They were to stay with them until they left the town. But if none in the town would hear them, if none in the town would permit them to dwell among them, they were to depart from it and shake off that place's dust which had gathered on their shoes. And this was a symbolic testimony against them. The town had rejected the gospel, and thus the town was rejected. That's what it represented. They had heard the gospel and rejected it. So the very dust that was kicked up by the messengers of God when they entered in would actually rise up and witness against them on Judgment Day that God had indeed sent them gospel ambassadors, but they refused them. There's much more here, but let us ask, let us seek, how we can ascertain how to balance our gospel witness. Because we see here, when you're received, Continue with them. When you're rejected, leave them and shake off the dust. How do we balance this? We do not want to be quick in departing from people, do we? In leaving off preaching the gospel to them. But we also do not wish and are not commanded to do this, to waste our time preaching to those who want nothing to do with it. In fact, to those who are not even willing to hear us and the message we have. Jesus tells us not to give that which is holy unto dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine. Now, it all depends on what kind of relationship you have with a person who you are witnessing to, but the rule still remains that it is foolish to continue expending time with someone who wants nothing to do with the gospel we preach. We can look to the ministry of Paul, the rest of the apostles, for aid in discerning how to meet this balance. How to meet this balance. Paul went unto the Jews in every town that he went to. He went unto the Jews first. He visited the Jews first. He preached to the Jews first. He preached in their synagogues the gospel. He also went unto the Gentiles with the gospel in those towns. And every place he went, the Jews resisted him, where we read that they were contradicting and blaspheming the gospel. Whereas the Gentiles gladly heard, the non-Jews gladly heard and received the gospel. And so Paul, on one occasion, actually tells the Jews this in Acts 13, 4, and 6. It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn unto the Gentiles. The Jews hated Paul's message. But the Gentiles were glad, we read, and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life, believed. There's a balance there. We can take instruction from it. So in every home that we enter, every town that we visit, that is, every person that God gives us the opportunity of witnessing to, as long as they are willing to hear us, as long as they are willing to hear us preach the gospel to them and explain the gospel, as long as they're willing to dwell with us and give us the right hand of fellowship and not cast us out, we should continue to minister to them. As long as that is in place, we should continue to minister to them. But if we are only met with what I would say an extended contradicting and blaspheming of the gospel which we bring them, if they will not receive us, if they will not even hear us, if they only wish to turn and rend us as swine, as Jesus says, then we should leave them we should leave them. The dust of our feet will testify against them on Judgment Day. Now, to clarify, and this is where we have to find balance, this does not mean that if the first time we share the gospel with someone at our job, a family member, what it may be, the first time we share the gospel with them or bring up Jesus, they reject it, then, all right, we're good to go, I'm shaking the dust off my feet. No. It means that if After an extended period of time, like Paul, he went for a long time to the Jews. If all we are then met with is contradiction, rejection, then we should leave them in their unbelief. Not hastily. We can still pray for them. If you have someone that you've been wasting your time with at this point, with the gospel, they will not hear it, they push you away, they tell you to be quiet, whatever it may be, and it's been going on and on and on. You can still pray for that person. You should pray for that person. And if God opens a door again, walk through it. Preach the gospel to them. doesn't mean you forever won't preach the gospel to them anymore. That's not your job. But it does mean that you should not expend the same intellectual, emotional, and physical resources on them in that way. It will help us in discerning as well as to when it is time to kick off the dust of the gospel shoes against them, as it were, if we keep in mind the following words of Christ in our passage, where he says, And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear you, when ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet, for a testimony against them. Then here it is. Verily, this will help us balance, Verily or truly, I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city, Understanding what was just said will help us balance. Sodom, as you recall, Sodom and Gomorrah, were entirely consumed by fire from Jehovah God out of heaven. Not a soul remained. Yet, for those who reject the gospel witnesses that come to them, it shall be worse for them than Sodom and Gomorrah on the Day of Judgment. This should add a weight of somber and sober seriousness to our witnessing. Sober and somber witnessing, seriousness to our witnessing. When we do come to wipe off the dust of our feet against an impenitent and unrepentant unbeliever, we leave them to a worse fate than that of Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom, received no gospel witnesses, did it? But these people have heard the gospel of free grace and rejected it. That's why it will be worse for them. Keeping this in mind will help us not to be hasty in leaving off preaching the gospel to somebody. We should bear long with people. It's better to err on the side of bearing long, expending too much resources, than not enough. Bearing long with people, constantly praying the Lord of the harvest, to bring forth fruit unto salvation through our ministry. I was such an one when I was 16 and 17 and 18. I should have been given up on. The amount of times I heard the gospel preached to me from my set of friends. The amount of prayers they gave. I just rejected it, rejected it, rejected it, rejected it, rejected it. It would have been worse for me than Sodom and Gomorrah. But these blessed brothers labored. They continued to labor. They were not hasty in putting me off. They continued to pray for me. They continued to share the gospel with me. They were like the man in the parable, and we should be like them too. The man in the parable, who when the unfruitful tree in the vineyard would not bear any fruit, and the owner of the vineyard said, cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground any longer? It's wasting resources. He said this, To the owner. He said, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. Lord, give me another year with this man, with this woman, with my brother, with my sister, with my mother. Give me one more year. Give me gospel dung and soil, as it were. Let them bear fruit. It is a weighty and terrifying thing to preach the gospel. It really is. We must understand that. Those who hear it and reject it shall endure a most terrible punishment. The hardest words in all the Bible are reserved for those who have heard the gospel, maybe even given intellectual assent to it and been like, okay, I'm a Christian or whatever for a time, and then rejected it. That's where the hardest words in the Bible are given. To the Galatian church, who had heard of free justification by faith in Christ Jesus alone, who then wished to add works back into their righteousness, to add works of righteousness back into their faith and think that they are justified by works and faith. Paul wrote these words, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth? If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. To the Hebrews, who were tempted by false teaching to return to Judaism, completely abandon Christianity and apostasize after receiving the gospel, the Apostle Paul writes, There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but only a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. There is no greater sin a man can commit no greater sin a man can commit than to hear the gospel clearly articulated and to reject it. Let this guide us in being careful not to quickly give people over. As long as someone is willing to hear us, we should be willing to speak. Third and lastly, more briefly, what gospel commissioners do? What do they do? What do we as Christians who are sent forth to minister the gospel, to be witnesses to Christ, do? Well, we see see what they did here in the next verse. And they went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick. There's three duties here that we see that they do. Three things they do. Now, one of these three things remains unchanged with us today. And the other two remain only in fulfillment. First, they were to preach. It is the duty, dear congregation, the duty to preach The gospel for every Christian. For every Christian. This is what Christians do. They preach the gospel. Ambassadors have a message, and they are to deliver it. Christians have a message too, and they must deliver it. Contrary to the popular evangelical trope that I think we have all so often heard, the disciples did not go live for a time in each town and behave very moral, very upstanding, they would pray before their meal in the presence of people at a restaurant. They would quietly attend church and mind their own business so that they preached the gospel with their lives. No. That is part of our gospel witness. That's true. We must live before people as Christians. But it's not the main sum of our gospel witness, is it? People are not converted to Christ. People don't get saved by watching Christians be moral. They just don't. They must be told with words the gospel. Again, we read that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith, salvation, doth not come from watching Christians be diligent workers, loving husbands and wives, good students, and respectable members of society. The disciples, we read, preached that men should repent. They preached that men should repent. They did not go into a town, live as faithful Christians, and let the inhabitants also live however they wanted, and hope that they would see something different about them, and come up to them and ask them about Jesus. I've heard that many times. I don't really preach the gospel with words. I just live as a Christian, and then people come and they ask me about Jesus. I'm hoping that's what will happen. No. No. While certainly not neglecting to live as Christians, the disciples came to the inhabitants of those towns and they told them about Christ. Mm. They preached that people must turn from unbelief, turn from their sinful lives, give up self-righteousness and come to the Savior God had freely provided for them. We have come to believe that such a common evangelical trope is just a clever way people have come up with to deny that they're ashamed of the gospel. That's what we've come to believe. Mm. It's just a way to deny that they're ashamed of the gospel. But what saith Paul? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Ambassadors deliver the king's message. Christ's disciples preach his gospel. Dear congregation, let us cultivate a desire to preach the gospel. How does that happen? Through frequent meditation upon the guilt of sin, which we were delivered from by the grace of God and the gospel. And thus, this will lead us to gratefully preach the gospel we have been given and which we have received. What is another thing gospel commissioners, gospel ambassadors do? They preach, but then they cast out Satan. We read that the disciples casted out devils. Though I do not deny that such wicked spirits may still possess the bodies of unbelievers at times, and that they still come out by prayer and fasting, yet the miraculous sign gift here being explained, the miraculous sign gift given to these disciples to cast out devils, at a whim, as it were, has certainly ceased. This does not, however, mean that Christ's disciples today, us, we Christians today, no longer destroy the works of darkness nor bind devils. We do, and we do indeed. We do this, and I argue, in a far greater manner through the preaching of the gospel. Through the preaching of the gospel, we may not be given the gift the power as a gift to just cast out demonic spirits out of the bodies of unbelievers. But we are given a far greater privilege as Christians of leading souls to Christ through the preaching of the gospel. Praying that God might give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. And that they would be delivered out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. 2 Timothy two twenty five and 26 As Christians go forth to preach the gospel, the church is built. And the gates of hell cannot repel its conquest. That's the thing we have to remember about that verse where Jesus says that. It's talking about the gates of hell being on the defense, not on the offense. The devil's grip on the mind, heart, and will of the sinner is destroyed by the power of the gospel. That's a far greater miracle than casting an unclean spirit out of somebody's body and then nothing else. The gospel is far greater. It's a far greater joy even than the ability to cast out devils. Many religions all over the world cast out devils. They claim to, but none of them have the gospel except us Christians. As Christ told his disciples at another time, he said this, notwithstanding... In this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you. Meaning that you can cast out demons. But rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. The gospel. Lastly, they can heal the sick. This is the last thing they do. They heal the sick. The disciples also anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them, we read. Most commentators agree that this anointing with oil here described was an additional miraculous sign gift that was given to the apostles to confirm the truth of their doctrine. This is seen in James 5.14 as well, where we read, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a gift, a miraculous gift of having the ability to put oil on a sick person, and them getting well and being healed no longer exists. God still heals when and where and how he pleaseth. Of course he does. But no one has a, the gift to just walk up and heal somebody. However, we have a far greater healing to offer as Christians through the gospel. Far greater healing. The oil mentioned before here in this passage could heal the body But it still left the soul dead in sin. The healing oil of the gospel, on the other hand, dear congregation, can raise dead sinners to life, not just heal the physical body. It makes the dead to rise. It comforts the downcast hearts of Christians. It soothes the wounded conscience and sanctifies the mortifying saint, the one who's trying to Put his sin to death. In closing, dear congregation, we see that we have a great duty as gospel commissioners, as ambassadors for Christ. We see this. Like the disciples, we must bear witness to Christ in dependence upon him, not supplying our own needs, but allowing him to supply us, which is far better. We come in his name, preaching his gospel by his power therefore we have no need to be timid to be afraid to be unsure as the out, as to the outcome we can be bold and confident when we share the gospel we witness the gospel with our unbelieving friends family co-workers and people on the street people on an airplane that we meet we can be bold and confident knowing that he who has sent us will indeed work through us he has promised to. Let us then therefore love the gospel in holy community with one another. In the context of the church. Supporting one another. Encouraging one another. Exhorting one another. And building one another up in the faith with the gospel. Let us grasp also the weight of the message that we have been given. Eternal life. Eternal death. Everlasting Death, the gospel of Jesus Christ, witnessing, evangelizing, is a life and death matter. I know a lot of people don't like to think about that, or will deny that, but it is a life and death matter. It's not just an opinion, it's not a lifestyle choice. It is mighty to save. It is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believeth. It is the everlasting damnation of all who reject it. It is the casting out and the defeat of Satan. The healing balm of the wounded soul. Let us then therefore treat this gospel with its proper reverence, dear congregation. Its proper respect, holy reverence for this holy gospel we've been given. Let us love that sweet Savior who is its content. The disciples were sent forth to preach We too must go out. Dear Christian, will you go out? Will you bear witness to your God, your King, and your sweet Savior, Jesus? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we once again thank thee for the opportunity to study thy word, to preach thy word. To hear thy word preached, Holy Spirit, we all depend upon thee to make this word effectual. or that we might be encouraged to witness to thy gospel, to love thee more, O oh Lord. Please help all these here to love thee, to think of thee more. We need thy help, O oh God, in Jesus' name, amen.